me, and then he does it again. And I uh, couldn't help but think the, the, not the irony, but probably the God incidents of um, who was reading that text. A few years ago, uh, God awoken Clint uh, with a great light. Maybe not a physical light, right, Clint? Um, but in the same way, God changed his heart. And um, we're, we're so glad that uh, all of us can celebrate in that if God's changed our heart too, right? Because in reality, it's all of our story if we know Christ. He's, he's woken up our heart. He's, we've seen a great light uh, in our heart, and he's changed us from the inside out so that we want to proclaim just like Paul did, uh, regardless of the cost uh, that Christ is Lord. Uh, so, Clint, thanks for reading that. And at this time, we want to dismiss our children uh, for children's worship. So if you all head out this way. And I would say that uh, in here this morning, um, everybody would agree with me. Aren't you thankful for the gospel? Uh, The gospel gives us hope, doesn't it? It gives us hope for... um, our children who have little sinful natures who try to bring attention to themselves, right? Um, that the gospel would change their heart. But in reality, here's a great illustration using my own son, right? Um, and not in a good light necessarily, but uh, uh, it gives us all hope because we all need the gospel. And in reality, without Christ, we're all selfish. And we, whether we want to admit it or not, we like the attention. And some people who say, I don't like attention, just in saying that, they like attention, Right? Because we're more about ourselves without the Savior. And thankfully, Christ came. And those who trust in him, he changes our hearts. So we think less about ourselves. And we think more about others. We do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. With humility of mind, regard one another as more important than ourselves. Just as Christ did when he went on the cross. He didn't do it for what he got out of it. He did it for what we got out of it. So the gospel gives us hope. And we can see that all around us, can't we? We need the gospel. And we need to be able to look at things like that and say, Hey, there's why we need the gospel. Okay, it's cute, and you want them to see me with enthusiasm, those kind of things, but there's a part, part that went overboard, right? I'm not reprimanding my kid. I guess I am, right? But all of us can be like that. I thought, what a great opportunity to say, we need the gospel, and not just for that kid, but for all of us. All of us need the gospel, and we have it, and that's the great news. We have the gospel. I'm so thankful for that this morning. Well, speaking of children and speaking of when uh, um, uh, the way that kids act sometimes. Think about back when you were a child. And maybe you, when you were playing with your friends and you, you kind of took on different roles, right? And, and you pretended to be different people. Maybe you were playing um, with me, playing back, backyard football. And nobody ever, ever wanted to be the team, the bad team, right, that everybody beat up. Now, today, they would like the Oakland Raiders. They were actually good back when I was a kid. But nobody today would want to be the Oakland Raiders. I mean, you want to be the, 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 the Patriots or the Broncos or the Seahawks, the teams that are winning. Okay, my team's called the Seahawks. Oh, you're the Raiders. Okay, I won't be on your team. All right? Or you think about our, our kids like to make believe. And some of the things, they, if they watch a lot of a show, they usually like to take on those roles, right? That for a little while, it was about Peter Pan. I mean... Nobody wants to be Captain Hook, although James usually volunteered to be Captain Hook, um, ironically. But, uh, but everybody wants to be Peter Pan. He's the hero, right? I think about it. They do this as more often now because it's a little bit newer, is the, the, the movie Frozen. And they like to have our two youngest ones. They have their friends over, and they, they begin to, to divvy it. Who's going to be who? Who's going to be Anna? And who's going to be Elsa? Who's going to be Olaf? Who's going to be Kristoff? Who's going to be Sven? Now, if you've ever seen the movie, Sven is the reindeer. I've never heard any of them say, I'll be Sven. 
I mean, who wants to be the reindeer? Who wants to be the animal? You want to be the hero of the story? And if you watch the, the movie, Spin actually is one of the heroes. But who wants to be the reindeer? I mean, it's the least of the glamorous of all the good guys. Sven. Stinky reindeer. Well, this morning, I'm going to ask us all to be a character in the biblical account of the birth of Christ. And we're not going to have different roles. We're all going to have the same role. I want us to take on the role of a shepherd, the least glamorous of all the human roles when it comes to the biblical account of the coming of Christ. Uh, I want us to take on this least of glamorous roles. And yet, in reality, the shepherds become one of the most desirable of all the roles surrounding the birth of Christ. Why? Why does it become, why do they become more, one of the more desirable roles to take on? They become one of the more desirable roles to take on. It's because the coming of Christ changes the shepherds. It transforms the shepherds. So I want us all this morning, I want us to look at this, this the, the, from the vantage point of the shepherds this morning, we're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Uh, the, the, the title of the message this morning, fittingly so, is a shepherd's Christmas. A shepherd's Christmas. And let's all be shepherds here as we, we look at this passage in Luke. So hopefully you can turn in your Bibles, uh, your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. I'll begin reading there in verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel, angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege we have to come and uh, look at this very familiar, familiar account of the shepherds. Even those of us that may be here this morning who didn't grow up in the church, haven't been around the church a lot, haven't even read a whole lot of the Bible, Lord, we're familiar with the story of the shepherds, at least that they have a role. Uh, and some of the rest of us, Lord, we've read this passage many, many, many times. Lord, I pray that by your grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would awaken our hearts. And Lord, we would look at this passage in a whole new light. That we would receive it as the very first time we heard it. And see what you would have for us. To know about you. To know about us. To know about your plan for us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's now look here at these, uh, these verses in Luke 2. And um, be challenged by three exhortations to follow 
in order to be changed just like these shepherds were. So the first exhortation to follow is acknowledge your position as a shepherd. Acknowledge your position as a shepherd. Uh, It's important that we come to the place where we can truly acknowledge our position, that we can truly understand that we're more than playing a role of shepherds. We are shepherds. I want us all to come to this realization that, that we're all just like the shepherds this morning. In the first way we need to acknowledge our position as shepherds is that, or maybe this thing more personal, the first way you and I need to acknowledge our position as a shepherd is you are unclean. You stink. Man, what a positive message around Christmas time, right? Well, let's see. Where do I get that? Well, shepherds were considered to be the least in the nation of Israel. They were despised by most people. No one wanted to be a shepherd. If we were role-playing, that would be the last position. If you really understood who shepherds are, you would never would have volunteered to be a shepherd. A shepherd had, who were men who obviously worked with sheep. Exactly. And what were sheep like? Where the wool is so thick and so long, it, you can't keep it clean. So stuff gets in there. Just some nasty stuff gets in sheep. And they begin to stink. And not only do they stink... But when danger comes, they don't even know to flee from danger. They're dumb. So they stink and they're dumb. Who wants to volunteer to work with a stinky, dumb animal? Who wants to be a shepherd? And if you work with a stinky animal, guess what happens to you? You stink too. I mean, you go in a football locker room about mid-season, and even if you don't play on the team, if you're in there about five minutes, guess what happens to you? You stink just like the locker room stinks. You stink, and it got all over them, and they stunk. They were unclean. And not only this, they worked seven days a week. Got very little rest. And what does it inhibit them from doing? Even as a Jewish person, they couldn't even go to the temple. And even if they could, they wouldn't let them in. Because they were unclean. They'd been around stinky animals. And they couldn't even keep, keep up with the law, let alone all the extra laws that the Pharisees put on the real law. These guys were unclean in every possible, imaginable sense of the word. They were unclean, and they couldn't participate even in the worship of God. And not only were these shepherds unclean, but everyone without Christ in this world is unclean. Unclean. Without Christ, we stink. As a buddy of mine calls it from Louisiana, stank. That's even worse than stinking. That's where we are without Christ. We stank unclean and nobody especially god would want to be around us we have to understand that we have to come to realization we have to embrace that truth that without christ we stink we're unclean well second thing we need to acknowledge in our position as a shepherd is you are unworthy i'm unworthy look at verse nine with me again there in the passage i just read and an angel of the lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened why were the shepherds so afraid? I mean, it says they were, ter- it didn't say they were scared. They were a little bit afraid. They were terribly frightened. It's about as big and strong of adjectives as we can to give to being afraid terribly. Why were they terribly afraid? First, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. How often do you think that happened? It never happened in their life before. So naturally, if an angel of the Lord appeared to you and it never happened to you before, you would be terribly frightened. 
You would, hey, what's up, angel? You wouldn't be like that. They hear all these accounts of people seeing angels. I'm telling you, if they saw an angel, they'd be on the ground, scared. Hey, what's up? Or they see this, they see Jesus. I mean, when God shows up in the, te- in, in, in the Bible, either in the person of an angel, the angel of the Lord, it, it gives a glimpse of his holiness. The, the, Jesus shows up in the pre-incarnate state. Nobody says, hey, what's up? They're scared to death because the holiness of God has come in their presence. And that's why they're scared. They understand, I'm unclean and he is holy. So it says, when the glory of the Lord shone around them, it's speaking about his holiness. In this sense, it revealed a little bit of his glory through the angels. It's an amazing thing. It had been hundreds of years since the glory of God had been present on earth. And now all of a sudden, they get a glimpse of it. In fact, in Ezekiel, uh, chapters 9 through 11, Ezekiel sees the glory of God in this vision depart from the temple. And from then on, after this, and when this actually happened in 586 uh, B.C., when the temple was destroyed... And that's when that was fulfilled, Ezekiel's vision of this. Israel was known, along with this word, Ichabod. Now that's not from Sleepy Hollow and the Headless Horseman. Ichabod means the glory has departed. The glory had departed in, 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 a, in a physical present sense from the earth in 586 B.C. And now, almost 600 years later, a glimpse of the glory comes back. And they get to see a glimpse of this where they proclaim that the glory is coming again. Yes, the glory of God returned and is partially manifested with the angel, with the angels and their, their, their proclamation, but it will be perfectly manifested in the baby that these shepherds would soon be, be able to see in Bethlehem. To get a glimpse of God's glory is to get a glimpse of his holiness. And there's reason to be frightened because not only as shepherds were they unclean and not only as those without Christ who are really shepherds too unclean but we're unworthy we're unworthy of the glory of God to be in our presence by being afraid these shepherds show us that they were willing to admit that fact that they were unclean and unworthy and we see this all throughout the scripture for instance, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of, what does it say? The glory of God. We don't meet the standard. We don't meet the standard of holiness and glory that God calls us to meet. And they didn't. They understood. They see, also clearly understood this truth, that the wage of sin is death. They understood that. Complete separation from God because of their sin. God was here, or here, and they were way down here and below. They understood that. They saw themselves in a right manner. And we too need to understand that our sin separates us from God and it deserves death. We need to acknowledge our position as shepherds. Not just play a role. We need to say, you know, I'm a shepherd too. I'm just like these shepherds. By sending the angels to the shepherds, God is communicating something else here. I want us to see this. That God comes to the lowly comes to the lowly he didn't show up to the kings and the people who had prestige and power and positions he went to the lowly the people who stank and they know it that's who god comes to that's who god came from for for that's what jesus says i came to seek and save the what the saved lost 
He came to seek those who would be willing to admit that they're sinners. And God's communicated that even here, that he comes to the shepherds. And Paul reminds us of this truth in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-27. He says, For consider your calling, speaking to church at, at Corinth and believers, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. Not only unclean and unworthy, we also say fools, weak, despicable without Christ. That's who Christ came for. And if you're here this morning and you've never acknowledged that you are a lowly shepherd, unclean and unworthy of God's love towards you and his mercy towards you, then I earnestly appeal to you that you would admit that you are a lowly shepherd that you're unclean because of the sin that separates you from God, that you're unworthy because of your sin, and you don't deserve God sending his son in your place. We have to start there, because God came for the lowly, not the high and mighty. Well, when we follow this first exhortation, we admit that, we embrace that role, acknowledge that we really are shepherds, then we're ready to follow the second exhortation in our passage this morning. Embrace the message to the shepherds. To embrace the message to the shepherds. And again, just to remind us, you can't embrace the message until you understand that you are a shepherd. Because it's a message to shepherds. So the first thing we need to see about this message to shepherds, it's a good message. Look at verse 10 there in in, in chapter 2 of Luke. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And, And this word good news is from the same word that we get the word gospel good news that's what it means good news is the same root word why is it a good news why is it a good message well first is a good message because it's for all the people notice at the end of verse 10 it says for all the people now notice the words of people now in the gospels this this word usually refers to the nation of israel usually but what dictates the meaning of a word context right Context dictates the meaning of a word, always. There's a range of meanings, but in order to understand where in the range of meanings is that, what does that word mean? Where's that range? We have to understand the context. We look at the context here, and, and we see that this is this word, first of all, for all the people. You can okay, say so that's for all the Jewish nation. Well, okay, for all the people. So we just say it's just Jews. Right, so then it's not just the spiritual elite or those who participate in spiritual in, 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 in temple worship, but also the stinky shepherds too. But the context, not just of the verses around it, but the whole chapter tells it's more than just that. If you look over, you can look, and I'll show it to you here in Luke two thirty through thirty two, and we're actually going to look at this pa- this passage next week in Luke two. But for my eyes have seen your salvation, for which you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. So for all the people also includes Gentiles, not just Jews. Whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, a shepherd or a king, this message is good because it's for all the people. And that's me and you. We all fall in that category for all the people. That's why it's such a good message. Well, the second reason it's a good message is because it brings peace. Look at verse 14 in our passage this morning and, and, and see that very famous uh, phrase, peace among men. All right, we, we, 
on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased but this this word peace right it brings peace look look with me at, at romans five ten. paul speaking about before these believers at rome but came to know christ it says for if while we were enemies it's before they came to christ they were enemies those without Christ are enemies of God. And you're like, oh, hold, hold, hold on, I wasn't, I've never been an enemy of God. I've never just straightened out blasphemed against God or called him names or anything like that. But if you're not for him, you're against him. And all of us without Christ are enemies of God. But the coming of Christ changed all that for those who believe. This is seen in the, the promise of peace found in Romans 5.1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we are at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now those who are enemies through faith in Christ can now be at peace with God and not be enemies anymore. What a great message. It's good news because it's a message of peace. And this, 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 this peace also enables us to be at peace with each other, doesn't it? Yes, first we must be at peace with God. So this, this declaration is not just a, a general goodwill toward men, peace all around. It's an in, eternal, internal change in the heart of people who are not at peace with God and ultimately can't be at peace with others. Look at our world. Look at the history of our world. There's always war going on, right? Because people aren't at peace with each other. You can't be at peace with each other until you're at peace with your maker. Then you can be at peace with each other. And then you can follow through the exhortation that Paul gives believers in Romans 12, 18. As much as it's up to you, be at peace with all men. It does have a sanctifying effect on our everyday life. But ultimately, it's our peace with God. What, a, what good news this is. Not only is it a good message because it's for all people and it brings peace, but it's a good message because it's by grace. Look at verse 14 again with me. And the words, among men with whom he is pleased uh, another translation says to men on whom his favor rests the emphasis here is on god's favor or grace towards man not on anything good found in men he's not saying uh, on whom my favor or with whom i'm pleased in the sense they've done something all right to please me and therefore i will give them favor the word actually here that we some translations say it please it comes from the same word as grace on whom my grace or my favor rests because he chooses for his grace and favor to rest on those who believe. We must understand with the shepherds that what God gives us, we do not deserve. That's grace. And not only do we see the message of shepherds is, is a good message, but also this account of the shepherds shows us that it's God's message. Uh, just to say this, straight up here this message that he brings what he did man would never have thought it up this is exactly the opposite of the way any of us would have done it right come on how do we get raises at work we outperform how do we get a better position on our team we outperform how do we get looking better in the, in the community we outperform and god says no that's not my way it's by grace it's god's message that's why it's such good news it's God's message, first of all, that he initiated it. First, he initiated it by his word. Look with me at verses 9 and 10 again. All right? And it says, And the angel of the Lord suddenly stood, all right? And then and, and they, they were scared. And what it says, But the angel said to them, 
So it's first initiated by his word. The messenger of God, the angels, came and spoke God's word to the people. He initiated it. This great message. Not, not only is it initiated by his word, but it's also initiated by his will. Look at verse 15 in our passage. When the angels had gone away from them to heaven, the shepherds heard be, shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem, then see this thing that, God, that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice it's the Lord that made it known to them. They didn't figure it out. It was God's will. In order for us to know God, he must make himself known to us. We don't figure it out. We, we, mankind has been trying to do that through the history of the, of the, of the wor- world to try to figure it out themselves. You go back to Adam and Eve. I say, okay, now we're separated from God. How do we make ourselves right? Well, let's just take a few fig leaves and we'll sew them together and everything will be good. And why did God think about that? He thought so much about that that he had to kill an animal and give them clothing that was suitable to cover their sin and promise a savior who would come and die for their sin ultimately that's what he thought about man's idea of figuring it out we don't figure it out it's initiated by god's will he makes known to us what grace that's amazing and not only is it god's message because it's initiated by him it's also initiated by him it's also accomplished by god he accomplishes it first by keeping his promise. Notice first he, he kept his promise through a city. Look at verse 11 with me. The city of David, or Bethlehem. Look at Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel, his going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Obviously, he's speaking about Jesus, the Messiah who would come. And notice what city it was. Bethlehem, which means house of bread. Aphratha, which means fruitfulness or fruit field. And they go hand in hand. Fulfillment of God's promise would, could come, would, would come through the city of fulfillment. The house of bread and fruit. Does that bring fulfillment to us physically? You bet it does. And God promised from this little city, this city of fulfillment, that the fulfillment of his promised Messiah would come to that city. To that city. He promised it would happen. He kept his word. And and, and not only is is it through a city, but we also see that it's through a birth. Look at verse 11. Has been born to us. Has been born to us. Has been born to us. And if you knew your Old Testament and you know your Old Testament today and you hear those words, you're like, man, that sounds familiar. It sounds like a very popular verse and a very important verse to the nation of Israel and for all people, all the peoples. What verse would not? That might be Isaiah 9, 6. For a child will be born to us. This is actually a quote from Isaiah. He was born to us. Why? Because he promised he would be born to us. It's through a city and through a birth, God kept his promise. It's God's message. Not only does God accomplish his message of salvation by his promise, but also God accomplishes it by meeting his price. Well, what was his price? What's his price? It's death. The wages of sin, we saw this already, is death. And that's not just physical death. Yes, there's physical death that came upon the world once sin entered in, but it's also spiritual death eternal eternal separation from god forever that's what we deserve 
That, that's, that's, that, that's the price that must be paid in order for God's just wrath to be turned from us. Well, how did he meet his price of death that comes from his justice? Well, look at me again in verse 11. What it says, through a Savior. Through a Savior, not a helper. We don't need a helper. We do not need a helper. We need a Savior. We are not just weak. It says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Oh, yeah, I need a little help. But God, maybe you could just send me a helper. We don't need a helper. We need a Savior. These shepherds needed a Savior. The history of mankind has needed a Savior, not a helper. And we see this in 1 John 4.10. And this is love that God, that, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the word propitiation there, it may say atoning death in your translation. It means to turn away the wrath of God and put it upon his son. To turn away from us and put it upon his son. That's what he did. Because we needed a Savior. And not only was he a Savior, but notice the next phrase in verse 11. says, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Messiah means the anointed one. And this is a title. It's not Jesus' last name or first name. Better say Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, okay? It's a title. It was known as a Greek word for anointed one or Messiah. And a man had to be the Messiah. So this is indicating that Jesus was a man, the anointed one, the anointed man, the promised man. And then it says the Lord, Christ the Lord. This word Lord is synonymous with God throughout the Old Testament. So he had to be a perfect what? God-man. Christ the Lord. This is what we, you probably hear the word incarnation. You'll hear it in Christmas songs. What in the world does that mean? It's where God, in the person of the second person of the Trinity, his son took on flesh. He took on humanity. So he's the perfect God-man. This has been promised from all eternity that this would happen. The perfect God-man. And this God in human flesh was promised at least in one place we could see in isaiah 9 6 we saw a little bit of this for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god eternal father prince of peace a son mighty god the incarnation christ the lord we see the perfect god man this is how he met his price through a savior who is christ the lord who died in our place to turn away God's wrath that would ultimately bring spiritual death in our life forever and ever and ever. The message to the shepherds is God's message because because he initiated and he accomplished it by sending his son, Christ the Lord, for us. What great news. And that can only be explained by God. And he gets all the glory. Now let me make another point here before we move on. It's very important. Notice that the good news we see here was not that Caesar was Lord. Now, why would I even say that? There was a Caesar in charge this time, right? The Roman government was in charge of the known world at the time. So it doesn't say that that there's good news that Caesar is Lord, but a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the good news. Caesar boasted in what was called the Pax Augusta. Caesar Augustus which means the peace 
of Caesar. The announcement that there was a Savior who is Christ the Lord and that he would bring true peace was an affront. It was a slam on the Roman government and their power over what they thought was power over the earth. It was an insult to them. that This Christ child, the Savior, would bring peace and not the Pax Augusta. It was the Pax Christos, the peace of Christ that came from God. It's an affront. These words, this message of the angels... Bring, bring. The message here is that you will not find peace through a government. Our government won't bring us peace, ultimately. And we ought to fight for it all we can. Because we're believers, we should fight for peace. But it won't bring us ultimate peace. And you will not find peace through a man. A mere man. No mere man can bring peace. True peace and good news that comes, that comes with that only comes through a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's good news. Now, just knowing the facts about the message to the, to, to, to the shepherds, that it's a good news and it's God's, God's news, that's not enough. We must entrust our lives to this message. And this is what the first century shepherds did. They entrusted their lives to the message they heard from the angels. And how do we do this? How do they do that? We, we, we do this. We turn from trusting in ourselves. We turn in man, from man's way that the biggest, strongest facets survive. And we turn from that and we trust in a Savior who died in our place. That's how we embrace the message that was given to the shepherds. Well, we need to acknowledge that. We need to acknowledge our position as a shepherd. We need to embrace the message of the shepherd. And thirdly, we need to respond with, the, with action just like the shepherds did. How does a shepherd respond to an encounter with Jesus? Well, thankfully, we see how they responded. They take action, first of all. They took action. First, they responded with a changed walk. By trusting in the message of the good news, the shepherds' lives were changed. Their walk, their lifestyle was different. Now, how do we know the shepherds accepted the message announced to them? Notice there in verse 15, Again with me in, in chapter 2. When the angels had gone away from them up into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem, then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Notice those words, let us go straight. That is action. They didn't say, hey, let's, the, let's take the, 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 the 610 around. We're going 45 right down the middle and getting there as quick as we can. We're taking the shortest distance between two points. The only thing I remember from geometry is what? I put it on every single um, proof in geometry. I don't think I ever got it right, but I always put it on there because I knew it was important. It's the only thing I remember. The, the shortest distance between two points is what? It's a straight line. It's a straight line. And they understood if they were going to do what they were called to do, if their life was changed, they were going to do it straight. They weren't going to take their time. It was action. And this is, demonstrates that they had saving faith in the message that they had heard. Next, you see, look at verse 16. So they came in a hurry. They came in a hurry. The key, thing, the key thing here we want to see is that they trusted the message and their lives were changed. Their walk was different. They didn't just stand by there as business as usual. Oh, man, that was a great message. Did you hear what the angel said? That was so great. Let's just hang out here with the sheep for a while and just, let's just talk about it. And then when we kind of get bored of it a little bit again, we'll just go back to being shepherds. And we'll just never go anywhere. No. It changed them. So much that there was action in their life. There was urgency in their life. 
And if someone has truly, by faith, accepted message of Christ's payment for their sin, then they will respond with a changed lifestyle. Their walk will be different. Something will be changed. Yes, it's a process. But the process involves change. We're just like the shepherds. When we've trusted in the good news of of, a Savior who is Christ the Lord, we cannot just stand by business as usual. When you've had an encounter with the God of the universe, you cannot just stand by like nothing happened. It'll change you forever. But not only do we see they respond with a changed walk, we also see the next action the shepherds took was they responded with witness. Look at verses 17 through 19. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering in their heart. Notice that phrase, they made known. They verbally witnessed the truth that Jesus was a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They told people. They didn't just walk in amongst people and say... They had something to say. How would they have known they had met Jesus if they didn't say anything? You got to say something. It's a message. And if you're deaf, use sign language. Use some kind of way to communicate the truth. You got to communicate it. You can't just show up. And they didn't. They, they spoke words to the people. They witnessed when it was convenient. Notice it says, all the people who were present when, when, they, when they went, they, they, there was Mary, right? And it says Mary treasured all these things, pondered in the heart. They didn't take for granted all this. They didn't take for granted that anyone knew the real significance of the birth, birth, even Mary. And we see Mary grows in her understanding of who Jesus really was. Here's whoa, she's listening. But it was a, I mean, they were all there. They're excited. Jesus was there. Man, this Jesus, whoa, Jesus. We're all here this morning, right? We're here. We 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 love Jesus. We're excited about that, right? And and it's and it's okay. We need to tell each other and not take for granted that everybody here really knows Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. That's a good thing, and that's convenient. That's pretty easy to do here, isn't it? Nobody's going to be mad at you and go, you believe they're talking about Jesus here? No, not here. They told about the message when it was convenient, but they also told about the message when it was inconvenient. Look what it says in verse 20. The shepherds went back. Where did they go back to? They went back to work. I'm not saying they, like I said, they, they didn't just stay there and say, we'll just get back to work. They went and they told somebody. Then they came back to their lives that God had called them as shepherds, physically. And they went back to work. Who was at work? Were all the buddies, man. They used to, used to hang around with and tell off-color jokes with and do certain things that wouldn't honor God. And we don't care about temple worship. Who cares if we're stinky and unclean? We don't want to change anyway. If they were married, they talked about their wives behind their back. And maybe there's a shepherdess and she did the same thing. They went back to work with all those people. They, they, they risked their reputation and their relationships and their livelihood because they were willing to tell all those guys what had happened. They were willing to tell all those guys about Jesus. Not just a general God. Oh, we all worship one God. We don't. There's only one God. And if you don't worship the one God, you don't worship God. You worship a false God. They were willing to go and talk about the name of Jesus with these people that knew him the best, knew what their life was like beforehand. It, wasn't in, it was very inconvenient for them to do that. But they did it. They responded with witness. What a great opportunity we have during this time of the year. How many people 
You know what? A lot of people say happy holidays, but we still live in Texas. And it's weird to hear somebody say happy holidays. They must be from someplace else, right? Most people still say Merry Christmas. Most people in Texas. What a great opportunity to say, well, why is it a Merry Christmas? So that's a question. Why is Christmas Merry to you? What a great opportunity to talk to people, to witness with your words about the Christ who is Savior and Lord that came to save us from our sins. What a great opportunity. Man, this is like, I'm not a good volleyball player, but I understand volleyball. My wife is a good volleyball player, all right? My daughter's a good volleyball player, but I'm not. But I understand, all right? First, the ball comes over, and you get what? You get a pass, or people call it a bump, and you may dig it, but it's a pass, and it goes to the setter, right, Whitney? And the setter gets under it, right? And they set, I can't get my shoulder up any for that. Sets it up, all right? And then, then here comes the, the tall person who jumps out of the gym, and spike, Merry Christmas is the set. It's over the net. All we got to do is just jump up and hit it. How easy is that? God has given us the set. Merry Christmas. Oh, yeah. With a smile on, of course. All right. But what a, what a great opportunity this time of year. It's not only was their walk changed and they, they, had, they, they witnessed, but they responded with worship. Look again at verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just has been told them. Here we see that a shepherd will respond to the message of God's good news of bringing redemption through Christ with worship. They worshiped. It's the ultimate response to the gospel. Not only is worship the ultimate response to the gospel, but worship is the ultimate purpose of the gospel. What? I thought saving sinners was the ultimate purpose of the gospel. No, that's important. But it's so that those sinners can worship God. So they can bring glory to God. That's the ultimate purpose of the gospel. That the God of all the universe might be worshipped. He might be glorified as he calls us all over this world to glorify him and honor him only. I love what one commentator says. The gospel's ultimate purpose is to save sinners so they can join the angels in glorifying God. The final reason for anything believers do is to glorify God. And that is so true. Well, how are we doing at worshiping God in response to the gospel? How are we doing with that? Worshiping with our lives. We can respond with our walk. That glorifies God. Change life. We, we can respond with our words as we witness the life-changing message of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And we can respond from our hearts through our voices and sing and worship God too. We're going to do that again here in a few minutes. What a great opportunity to worship the God who sent a Savior, not a helper, who is Christ the Lord. Well, are you willing not only to take on the role make-believe as a shepherd, but are you willing to admit, I'm a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. I stink. I'm unworthy. I'm unclean. I'm unwise. If so, then embrace the message that was given to the shepherds. That today has been born to you in the city of David. Fulfillment. Fulfillment is coming through a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Embrace Him as your Savior from sin and be made right with God. And then respond just like the shepherds did. Now a lot of you are thinking, well, okay, Christmas has come and gone. Here we are again. 
but I was here to hear all this. I've heard this all before. Um, I'll think about it. Well, I, I got a chance to talk to a good buddy of mine um, on Monday or Tuesday when I was driving up for a doctor's appointment with my shoulder. And I called him. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of weeks, and he coaches football at a school in, in Kentucky, Moorhead State. He was a quarterback on my college team. He's been co- doing college coaching ever since then, and he's the offensive coordinator there at Moorhead State. And we were just talking, and usually we joke around, and we have these things. We, we, I talk to him about every other week and half since I graduated from college. And I don't think that, uh, you know, I'm so thankful that we've continued this relationship. I said, well, how's it going? And usually he says something funny to say. He says, not too good, Brian. Not too good. So what's going on, Craig? He said, well, the boys and I have been sick, and I've kept being sick, and I started coughing up blood. He's 46 years old, and he's in better shape than anybody in this room. I can tell you that. He keeps in great shape. Takes care of his body. Eats the right things. Doesn't smoke. Doesn't drink. Doesn't do all those things that would be bad for his body. So he went and got a... Um, chest x-ray and there's a mass on his lungs he's 46 years old I never thought I'd hear Craig at 46 years old tell me he has a mass on his lungs, he had a biopsy and he'll find out tomorrow and a lot of us just think it's just business as usual and I'm not trying to scare you but the reality is we're all going to die and it may be today and if you haven't embraced a savior who is Christ the Lord personally in your own life you will die, and your fate will be way worse than cancer. It will be an eternity separated from the God of all this earth in a place called hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it is not a fun place. It's not where you go party with your buddies, like people think. It'll be awful, worse than awful. It's urgent. This message is urgent. If you're here this morning, and you, you think you're going to just put it off, you can't put it off. Because you're not guaranteed to tomorrow. And if, 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 if you're here this morning, think, you know what, I'll talk to so-and-so next month. So-and-so may not be here next month. And then Craig turns around and tells me, he said, another guy we played football with, as a linebacker, his brother just died in Houston. He came down to get treatment, 43 of cancer. And some of you young people think, that's pretty old anyway. It's not that old. We're not supposed to die at 43. It's part of the wages of sin in our world. We need to tell people about this. We need to be urgent about letting people know that they need Christ. And that's what Christmas is all about. So take the set that God has given you. I urge you, I urge myself, and urgently let people know that it's a Merry Christmas if you know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and the reality, Lord, of your word. And it's so true today. It's not just something that happened a couple thousand years ago. It wasn't just something that people look forward to even thousands of years before that. But, Lord, it is real today. And, Lord, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is the most relevant message today. It's always been the most relevant thing for today. Lord, help us take that relevancy of the message to those around us. Help us be urgent to take that message, just like the shepherds did whether it's the people we're comfortable around, people we're uncomfortable around, help us take that message so that they might join in the greatest privilege that a human can have. And that's to glorify and praise you with your life. And we pray this in Jesus' name.